Southern Songs and Stories is part of the podcast lineup of both Public Radio WNCW and Osiris Media. Osiris creates music podcasts and events to help music fans deepen their connection to the music they love with all of their shows at OsirisPod.com. Osiris works in partnership with Jam Bass, which connects music fans to the music they love and empowers them to go see live music. Capsule versions of Southern Songs and Stories are produced for broadcast on WNCW by me, Corey Askew. More information about this and other podcasts from Grassroots Radio, WNCW at WNCW.org. I knew I wanted to be a radio DJ the first time I stepped foot in a radio station. I was probably 12 years old and had been fascinated with music on the radio for years already, But it was then that I knew that being on the radio was something that I was not just interested in, it was something that I had to do. Have you had a moment like that? Was there a point in your life where you were so inspired that it changed everything afterward? There's a famous Lao Tzu quote that says, When the student is ready, the teacher will appear. And for me, that teacher was the college radio station at Appalachian State University playing Tainted Love by Soft Cell. I wonder how different it might have been for me Had I wandered into an old-time jam session instead, or had I come across a TV performance of Bobby Bear, or a live performance of Mother Maybelle Carter? For Tom Utes, seeing a TV show with Bobby Bear as a boy was his lightbulb moment, and for Tammy Rogers, it was the combination of witnessing a Mother Maybelle performance and having been fascinated with Carter family records even earlier in her childhood. Tammy Rogers and Tom Utes were eager students who had some pretty legendary teachers show up early in their lives, and they wound up becoming music masters and teachers themselves. I was talking to my husband, who's a professional guitarist, um, and he, he said, well, this is so great that you're going to do this. He said, there may be some kid listening to you yeah. today that... that does something to them or or is that moment for them and whoo it's the circle sorry you know i don't think about that when i'm in the middle of doing because it's we're in it but you know when you do take a minute to go wow yes that could happen and um and that's a powerful thing yesterday a student literally asked me when was the first time that you ever felt like you were a successful songwriter and i said i still don't feel that way I feel like I'm successful when I wrote something meaningful. I'm glad that I'm. it's making me money, that it's affording me a livelihood, but I don't walk around and the whole day and think about my extraordinary life. Tammy Rogers has had a career filled with superlatives, from her early days in Patti Loveless's band, then working with Trisha Yearwood, Kieran Kane, plus cutting her own solo albums, as well as being a founding member of the Steel Drivers and a co-founder of the record label Dead Reckoning. Now, she joins Tom Utes, who has had a magnificent career too, having toured and recorded with a who's who of Roots music, from Nancy Griffith to Mary Gaucher to Maura O'Connell. Tom has written or co-written innumerable hit bluegrass songs recorded by artists like John Prine, Balsam Range, and the aforementioned Steel Drivers. Tammy and Tom have a new record which they worked on for years before cutting down from the initial 140 songs they wrote together to the 12 released on Surely Will Be Singing, which includes the studio version of this song, I Surely Will Be Singing, which you are hearing now from their live on-air performance at Public Radio WNCW on February 4th, 2022. 
It was a song inspired by their realization that birds thrive during the pandemic because of less vehicle traffic. And as people spent more time at home or outside during the COVID-19 lockdown, they noticed that abundance more than any time before. Coming up, Tammy and Tom talk about their long-standing collaboration, go into detail about their musical heroes, they give us their take on what is unique about music from the South, and much more, including more new live music in this episode of Southern Songs and Stories. I'm your host and producer, Joe Kendrick. Welcome to the show. Remember Grandma always hummed a tune, hanging clothes out on the line or sweeping up the living room. It makes the work a little easier, that's what she used to say. Takes your mind off of your troubles and it helps you through the day. Hard times won't keep me down, I'll lift my spirits up. I'll find another song that's gonna fill my cup. As long as I am living, the music will be ringing. As long as I am breathing, I surely will be singing. That's gonna fill my cup As long as I am living The music will be ringing As long as I am breathing I surely will be singing As long as I am breathing I surely will be singing When they came to play for us, Tammy Rogers and Tom Utes did not have a live show in the region, but were soon scheduled to play on Mountain Stage and Song of the Mountains. And I remarked that it was like an old-fashioned radio tour, where artists would go on a string of radio programs to promote their records before booking any concerts. Here's Tom Utes. You know, I think it's ironic we're getting to a place where, because recording technology is so easily available to people, and releasing songs to the world is so easy through whatever services. We're, we're in an ironic place where we're circling back to what the music business was like in the 40s and 50s, where you recorded in the morning, you had a test pressing in the afternoon, <laughs> and the next morning you were in the, the car the hitting the radio stations. You know, yeah. That's kind of where it's, uh, it's, we're coming full circle with that. And the nature of how everything is more geared towards singles now, mm-hmm. yes, less towards albums much like it was back before albums were popular. You Absolutely. Know? Yeah. Yes. A, a lot of people, I think, these days, you know, don't even think in terms of a conceptual album. You know what I mean? Um, that's still kind of foreign to me. I still like to think about a collection of songs. Absolutely. You know, a group, you know, making a cohesive statement, if you will. But, um, you know, to, to each his own. And there, there's um, a lot of young folks doing EPs and doing really well with that sort of thing and the, certainly the single thing but um yeah I, I i certainly view this record in particular as an album i think there's a there's an on i'm such an album driven person still like the stuff that i love there seems to be a red thread running through an album and narrative and 
I think that's a little, something that gets a little lost if it's all just singles driven. But it's also important to embrace the way the music business is is changing, you know, and and uh, absolutely using yeah. those those new opportunities. Not everything is bad that's new. It's just you have to just use it to your advantage. Sure, it's all technology. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, before albums, you couldn't even make an album up until whenever it was yeah. technologically possible right. to put that many songs on an album. And now right. everything is streaming, and so streaming is a much different animal than an album. Right, mm-hmm. right. So you get a lot more singles again. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah. Now, there are a lot of extraordinary things about your album. It was a long time in the making. I mean, you've really had years to put this together and a lot of music. You had 140 songs that you considered for the album. Is that oh, right? at least, yeah. That's just amazing. <laughs> well, it's it's it sounds like it, but it's not. Not if really. You con- if you consider that we've been working, uh, read, that we've been writing together for five or six years, you know, pretty much steadily once a week. So, you know, you'll just have a bunch of songs and... We pitched to some of them to other artists, but there's also a couple of things where we knew that the steel drivers were going to record them, and then there's a bunch of other stuff where we knew this is, especially the more old-timey sounding stuff on this record, that's not something that lends itself necessarily to a lot of bluegrass acts recording that. So, mm-hmm. But the songs are still dear to us, so we wanted to, to, to have them see the light of day, and that's when the idea was born to make a record. And what happens to the other songs now? Well... I mean, we hope, we love hearing other people do our songs. You know, Tina Adair did a great version of one of our songs that we'd written with a dear friend, Peter Cooper. Um, it was on a record, came out last year, I believe, mm-hmm. called Room 404. Room 404, and Terry Bauckham recorded Terry Bauckham recorded we, one that we wrote. Um, we're, we're all, I'm always pitching songs to people, you know, but that's a that's a long process, you know, and... Uh, but we're all re- we're talking about making another record, maybe making an old-fashioned mm-hmm. duo gospel record. We or may something. do a gospel so, record. But it's also in the nature of when you're writing a lot, um, there there is just a lot of stuff that I wouldn't call it. It doesn't fall by the wayside, but it's just stuff that's in your catalog, and you never know what's going to happen. You know, the beautiful thing about writing these songs is once they're done, they're out there in the universe. They're there forever, and what we do with them, that's up to us and to some other people. But it's our responsibility as writers to to sit down and, and get him out of our system. Yeah, part of it, you know, I always tell people when I write, I, I, I never sit down and write or, or have an agenda. You know, it's like, oh, well, let's write something for the steel drivers today. I mean, if at the end of the day we finish something and go, oh, well, this would be cool for the band. Sure, I'll take it to them. But if we also write something, you know, that, that is totally different, then that's, equally is great you know it's all about being in the moment and writing you know staying true to whatever that narrative is for that particular song you know we wrote a song um I don't know four or five months ago I have a daughter that's 20 and you know she has a boyfriend and you know we wrote this song you know more from the perspective of a parent saying you know I hope that he's as good as you think he is that that type of song and it's not a bluegrass song at all i mean it's really you know we're probably going to pitch it more in the country market you know tim mcgraw we're hoping tim will record it because he's got three daughters he could relate but you know that type of thing you just don't know so we'll we'll get our people in touch with his people please good thank you good. <laughs> it's, it's got to match one of his three daughters so exactly <laughs> now here is a bit of tammy and tom's song the tree of life performed live on WNCW.
of life is there for showing where we're from and why we're here. The tree of life is ever growing through the ages, through the years, through the ages. I love the stories that you have about how you were first had that lightning in a bottle, that sort of the light bulb going mm. off moment. Um, Tammy, with you with Mother Maybell, first the oh. image of Mother Maybell, and then yes. actually getting to see her play mm-hmm. when you were young. And Tom, you watching Bobby Bear on the TV show and how you were just, it seemed like from that moment on, you were destined to be here right now talking about this music. Do you ever think about the young people in the generations coming up now and that relationship that they might have with you and how you're affecting future generations of players. You know, that is so interesting that you should say that because I'm, I'm tearing up right now. Um, we were driving over here, or I think it was maybe before we left this morning, I was talking to my husband, who's a professional guitarist, um, and he he said, well, this is so great that you're going to do this. He said, there may be some kid listening to you. Yeah. today that that does something to them or or is that moment for them and who it's the circle sorry you know i don't think about that when i'm in the middle of doing because it's we're in it but you know when you do take a minute to go wow yes that could happen and um and that's a powerful thing so well yes. I, I i think about it a lot because uh, I'm, I'm teaching in the songwriting department at Belmont University two days a week and so I'm around people about promising young songwriters all the time and I I take that very seriously you know that they look up to me and and go yesterday a student literally asked me when was the first time that you ever felt like you were a successful songwriter and I said I still don't feel that way I feel like I'm successful when I wrote something meaningful I'm glad that I'm it's making me money that it's affording me a livelihood but I don't walk around and the whole day and think about my extraordinary life I think <laughs> about what I want to do with my life and how I want to express continue to express myself self creatively and and how I hopefully have more time to to do this you know so yeah we think about these things all the time and I think very often it's a visual, you know, especially in this world where young people have just input all the time. Maybe seeing somebody with a guitar, that's just, that's still such an archaic, if you will, um, but an image that carries so much meaning and symbolism. I do think that some people's lives can be turned around just by hearing somebody sing and seeing somebody with a guitar or a fiddle or a bandolier or whatever. Mm -hmm. I'd like to ask you about your connections with Roots Music that is so, uh, you know, it's got its starting place in the South that that, that was born from uh, the quote-unquote South mm-hmm. and how you think that um, what you're saying with that to the outside world. 
That's a that's a very deep question. So people from, <laughs> say, Tom, you know, native German, you know, you seeing Bobby Bear on the TV as a as a young boy, you know, had to give you a feel, mm-hmm. right or wrong, for what that mm-hmm. part of America was about. And I'm wondering if you ever think in that direction with your own music of what are people really reading into this? Well, I'm. I think it might almost be stifling if you thought about it too, too much. You know, like you observe something you turn it into a narrative in a song and then you put it out and then it's up to the people to see whatever they want to see in that i i wouldn't want to i wouldn't want to spell it out too i mean too in a too detailed a way i mean an image is an image people need to be able to see in that whatever they want i guess that's what we say when we talk about being able to read between the lines in a song or something hopefully there's enough space for people of all walks of life especially in the context of bluegrass music to hear something in in our gospel related songs maybe hear something very old or something that's maybe a some a new thought to young people or something like that so i don't think you can think about it too too much you have to trust that you create this you put it out there let other people figure out what it is i th- i think um you know two things i guess in response to your question i mean one is the the storytelling element um and and i know you know every culture has its storytelling tradition of course but you know seemingly telling some of these stories that are rooted in the south and in the mountains and some of these these areas um there's a certain um People enjoy that, you know, and and they enjoy the what we're trying to to tell, you know, from an entertainment perspective. But I think, you know, maybe subliminally they're they're getting, you know, like the read between the lines part, you know, they're they're getting something more from from that. And I think that that's, you know, long been what's so important about country music and old-time music and bluegrass music um, is that so many other types of music don't really maybe focus on the lyric writing as much or aren't really as centered about telling a story. Um, So I think that's a really strong thing that draws people into it. Um, And I love that that's a big part of what what we do you know we try to write write songs that that tell a story or um you know doesn't have to we we talk a lot about it. it doesn't have to be something that we've experienced you know if we read a really great book and it's a great storyline we may be inspired to to kind of write a little bit of that into a song um and and that's that's fun too um the other part i think that people relate to is the soul element you know i think for me roots music is so incredibly soulful you know you hear um most of the time real instruments real people playing real people singing it's not overly produced it's not overly processed it's not a bunch of machines that have been programmed and and that that's the part that's hooked me in all these years so many Have come and have gone Too many memories 
of There Ain't Enough Time, another live excerpt from Tom and Tammy's new collection here on Southern Songs and Stories, where every once in a while we go out on a limb with a question. Knowing that Tom Utes had a great admiration for both John Hartford and Charlie Poole, I asked that if he had the chance to go back in time and play with one or the other, which would he choose? I would choose to play with both of them at the same time. <laughs> um, you know, Charlie Poole is a, is a great inspiration to me as a musician, but also as a as a character, he was just, uh, he was such an entertainer. I mean, there's reports of him dancing on his hands just to get the crowd going. And he wrote incredible songs. He was one of the people who just went like, I'm not going to stay in this mill town. This is not going to happen for me. I'm going to get out of here and even cost, even if it's going to eat me up, which it did. Um, I love his playing. I love that he, you know, he had a, he injured his hand when he tried to catch a fastball without a glove and it, it, influenced his banjo playing and he used it to he turned it into an asset and did something new with it i got i was after my single um uh, uh milltown blues came out which is about charlie Poole. i got con i was contacted by a gentleman called kenny Rohrer from virginia who's a historian and who is a great nephew of charlie Poole's and also of posey Rohrer's, who was charlie's fiddle player and he has Charlie's banjo and has an incredible collection of Victrolas in 78s. And that was a, a great validation, if you will, that somebody of who has that incredible knowledge about this music went like, this is really good. This is kind of what I think what it would have been like and or what Charlie would have been like. And with, with Hartford, I mean, he's just, I can't think of any, I can't think of anybody else like Hartford. I can't think of anybody who had who could get out there and play with the full band or get out there with a the banjo and dance and entertain. I can't think of anybody who would tap his cheeks and turn it into a song. That's something you have to practice for hours and hours to get it right. I mean, that says something about a person. He, uh, you know, built a house by the river in Nashville so who could see the boats. He built a replica of the house, a tiny replica that was a, a, a dog house that looked like the big house. And it's just <laughs> like, who does that? It's th there's just such a beautiful childlike element in that. And there's so much levity in his writing and in his performances, and at the same time, it's super deep. Um, that's just, that's that's inspiring to me. I think Tim O'Brien is a person that I think a lot of, and I think about Hartford, somebody who has humor in his songs, and and just this this element of you can you can you can analyze what they do, and you might understand it, but it just sounds so good when they do it. It's got so much personality, so much groove, and so much slinkiness, and. Um, I just think the world of, of all of those guys. 
Tammy, how about for you? Are there any figures that loom as large as Charlie Poole in your musical universe? Oh, well, Mother Maybell, for sure. You know, um, I, being from East Tennessee, you know, my grandmother had those records. And she she told me that she remembered going to see them, you know, in the late 20s at schoolhouses up there. So um, I feel like I have... a a pretty strong connection there but you know even before I was able to verbalize what that meant seeing a woman on an album cover holding the instruments you know I was six seven eight years old I wasn't even really playing yet myself I'd you know played a little piano knew a few chords on the mandolin but it that's unbelievable and indelible image really so, um, you know, and through the years, I've gone back different times and kind of done deep dives into um, the Carter family and Maybell and, and what she did and what she um, accomplished. And it's staggering to me. It's just, you know, unbelievable. And, and still, you know, you listen to her records and her playing is flawless. Yeah. And, um, you, you can't overestimate her influence, yeah. you know, from the, you know, late 20s until now. Sure. So it's, it's um, yeah, so she's definitely my Charlie Poole for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And both artists had uh, these inventions, these musical uh, milestones that they created, the Carter Scratch mm-hmm. and uh, Charlie Poole with his busted cool. hand. You know, they had these... Uh, hurdles uh, basically the Carter family didn't have a bass player so right. Maybelle figured out how to do the, the Carter band. Scratch and yeah. do both at the same time and these they they were incredibly influential I think probably Charlie Poole's uh, banjo playing doesn't get as widely recognized as as the Carter Scratch right. for example but they were both very innovative oh absolutely and Charlie Poole's band was very very tight for the time in t- very much in tune and in time for for that time, I mean, you can listen to it now, and it still holds up. You know, um, I think that's the interesting thing about all those old players. You know, they the thing also is they were not influenced by radio or any kind of mass media, so they had to come up with their own style out of necessity. There was nobody you could imitate, and and we're looking at up to those people still today for doing that. You know, and yeah, that's all I want to say. About it. <laughs> One, two, three. There's a preacher on the corner You know he feels it too He never would admit it But he's got the speakeasy blues Single girls in fancy dresses one more live song from Tammy Rogers and Tom Utes, a song that Tom described in their live session as being even sadder than There Ain't Enough Time, the snapshot of the Prohibition-era speakeasy blues, which also works in a verse mentioning Tammy's uncle, Uncle Junior. Thanks for listening to this episode of Southern Songs and Stories, and I hope you might tell someone you know about the series. You can follow us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, you name it. And once you do that, it really helps when you give it a good rating and a review. Top ratings and reviews especially will make Southern Songs and Stories 
and the artist it profiles more likely to be found by more people just like you. Southern Songs and Stories is a part of the podcast lineup of both Public Radio WNCW and Osiris Media, with all the Osiris shows available at osirispod.com. You can also hear new episodes on Bluegrass Planet Radio at bluegrassplanetradio.com. Thanks to Corey Askew for producing the radio adaptations of this series. On Public Radio WNCW, our theme songs are by Joshua Ming. I'm your host and producer, Joe Kendrick, and this is Southern Songs and Stories, the music of the South and the artists who make it. Now the government passed a law, what's a body supposed to do? A man needs a dram and he gets that old speakeasy blues. There's a coil that's made of copper, making 140 proof. Uncle Junior by the fire with the old speakeasy blues. Ooh, 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 the speakeasy.